book of Numbers, chapter 6, verse 22 to 27. Let's give our attentive listening, for this is God's word. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your call uh, to sit and to hear um, your words uh, for your people. Would you feed us, feed our hearts and souls with your truth, and um, may the the good news that we hear uh, bear fruit in our lives as a result of hearing, and let it change us according to your will and according to your image. And we ask this in your Son's merciful name. Amen. Uh, we've come to the end of this series of uh, why we do what we do. We've been covering each element of the worship service and showing you that we, we do it out of reverence for, for Scripture and not just because it's human tradition. And in a sense, we've been encouraging a bit of healthy skepticism on your part um, to ask, why is it that we do the things we do at church um, in, in a typical worship service so that you would come to see and, and believe uh, it really is not just something you grew up with and just happened to encounter at NCA. And this is just how we do things at NCA. But that this is something God himself wants to give you uh, according to his word. And we've come to the benediction, uh, which usually concludes all of our worship services. Why? Why does God want his people to receive this as often as they assemble together? Um, the benediction is actually, I think on the one hand, one of the most important aspects of the Christian life. On the other hand, also one of those often taken for granted and, and neglected things in the Christian life. I remember when I was young, uh, I was visiting my cousin's church in Korea. It's like a mega church. And I remember on the way to the service, I remember him saying, I like to leave the service just before the benediction. I was like, huh, that's interesting. Why? Why would you want to leave just before that benediction? And he said, so that I can get out of the parking lot before it gets too crowded. Um, is that what benediction is? It's just something that delays your exit and gets you stuck in a crowded parking lot, inconveniencing you. Or is it like the, the credits that go up after the movie's done, and you really don't care what the text says, you just want to get to the post-credit scene. You would fast-forward it uh, if you could. Is that what the benediction is? Something you want to just fast-forward to, maybe the, the hangout after the service. Actually, the benediction is an incredibly valuable thing and a very life-giving uh, thing if we were to understand what it truly means. Uh, and Aaron's benediction, or what's called the Aaronic blessing, 
in Numbers chapter 6 is a great passage that teaches us about the significance of the benediction. So I want to look at this passage with you and share from this passage these three things. What is the benediction? How we should receive the benediction? And the so what that comes after the benediction. Okay, so what is the benediction? How should we receive it? And so what if we receive it, okay? The what, the how, and the so what. Um, so point number one, what is it? What is the benediction? It literally, uh, benediction literally means a good word or a well saying. Bene means good or well, and diction, word. It's a good word. Well, good in what sense? Uh, if you take a look at how Aaron's benediction is structured, you see that there are these three lines that communicate two parallel activities of God. The Lord, he sets on blessing you, and therefore you be assured that he will keep you. The Lord makes his face to shine upon you, and therefore you can know his grace will cover you. The Lord will lift up his countenance upon you, and therefore you will be filled with his peace. And what I want to do is flesh that out a bit more um, so it's not so abstract. Let's learn what some of these words mean. What does it mean, for example, to, to be kept? When God moves to bless his people and keeps them, what does that mean? And to be kept means to be guarded or carefully watched. It's an intimate uh, relational term. It's like a newborn parent who would like keep their infant and attentively right, look over them, watch over them. Um, at the same time, the weight of this word really comes alive when you attach the subject to this verb. The Lord keep you. Yahweh himself, God the Almighty, may he guard you and attentively uh, watch over you. That's the first part of this good word, this benediction coming from God to his people. The one who holds the universe together by the word of his power, the one who's sustaining every physical law and that governs this universe, he is your personal watchman of the night. With eyes that never grow tired, he's, he's got his all-knowing gaze fixed upon you. And that means he's, he's got his heart set upon you. That's the blessing. God drawing near, keeping you. The blessing is God's attention, his attentiveness to you and your life. That's a start to this benediction. And therefore, the people who receive this are called to recognize, in a sense, the greatest blessing is, in life is not anything in creation, but it is the Creator's attention, His keeping, His attentive care, and therefore drawing you, bringing you into a dependent relationship with Him. That's the blessing and the keeping. And then comes the second part, the Lord make his face to shine upon you. That's literally God beaming at you and smiling upon you. And what does that mean? Given that, you know, God is spirit, he doesn't have a literal, you know, white bearded face. What does that mean? It means to sum it up that you have been reconciled to him. It means there's no hostility between you and God. There's no conflict. There's no furrowed brow. 
And that's in- incredible if you think about it because it used to be that no one could look upon the face of God and live. Why? Because God is holy, 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 and we are not that. Uh, why can't we stare into the sun and not go blind or, or go close to the sun and not get destroyed? Because there are millions of tons of hydrogen being burned at the sun's core, and we don't. <laughs> we are not the same stuff. We're, we're incompatible, and we have to therefore stay at a good distance if you want to stay alive or we get destroyed. So how is it that you can get close to God's face when he's a billion tons of holiness and somehow not get destroyed when his face beholds our face? Because it says here, he makes his face to shine upon us and gives us grace. He, he draws near intentionally not to condemn or consume but to save by his grace and by his grace make us like him make us holy make us blameless and here's how that ties in with the the first parallel god he treasures us he keeps us near and dear to his heart but what does that imply that must mean he's he's seeing everything he's intimately aware of all the details of our lives and what happens when you when you get close to people, you start seeing their sins and flaws and weaknesses too. And that means he would know the sins and weaknesses and flaws of his own people as he draws near to keep them, attentively observes them and watches over them. And yet, and yet, he smiles. And, and that must mean he knows the cost of drawing near with grace. He, he knows the, the price of forgiveness. He knows the burden of loving people who are difficult to love. And God's good word for such people, like you and me, is I'm all in, I'm committed. My face is not going to turn away from you as soon as I notice sins and flaws and blemishes. I'm going to turn my face towards you and give you grace. I'm going to pay the price of loving you when it's difficult to love you. So he he doesn't just say, I'm going to bless you and keep you, but he, he says the next thing that must be said. If I'm going to bless you and keep you always, I must be gracious to you, and I'm ready for that. I'm ready for that. And then there's the final, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Um, the word countenance here is an interesting word. It's not quite the same as the word face. It, it also means in the Hebrew, one's presence. Presence. It's a word that scripture uses to communicate God's presence that goes before his people and therefore leading them into his peace, into his shalom. And, and throughout scripture, whenever it speaks of God's peace, God's shalom, it is not merely speaking of absence of conflict, absence of war, absence of strife or suffering. It's more so the presence of God, even in the midst of trials and suffering. It's more about the presence of God than the absence of conflict, meaning it's not a situational or circumstantial peace. It's an inner peace that sustains 
um, in the midst of situational, circumstantial, relational struggles. It's a peace that transcends struggles. It transcends trials. And he's offering that to his people, something only he can, he can give. Uh, my children can often get scared in the middle of the night, and they would run to our room and lay down next to us and um, cuddle up next to us. My son did that recently, but this time, you know, must have been the thousandth time, uh, he has sort of had a meta moment and, and asked me, um, Appa, why do I get so scared sometimes? He wasn't saying I'm scared. He's saying, why is it that this phenomenon takes place? He didn't use that word. Why do I have these experiences? Um, and as a parent, you need to understand these are the moments you want to take advantage of. And it's a, it's, it's a teaching moment. And I said, Owen, uh, it's okay to be scared. I get scared often. We, we got to remember, though, what God says to us when we are scared. He says, fear not, for I am with you. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. And remembering that helps. Remembering that God is with you even when you're scared. And that's all you need to remember. Uh, even if the, the night is dark and the, the storm is raging, if you know that God is with you, you can have peace. And that's really the lesson that you all need to learn. Uh, you need this similar lesson when you, because you experience all kinds of fears yourself. And the peace God is offering you is an inner peace that transcends everything. And to know he is with me, and that is enough. The point is not to never feel scared, right? You're not living in the real world if you're never feeling scared. Uh, the point is to have an inner peace that sustains you when scary things happen. Peace that reminds you God is greater than this broken world. The Redeemer is stronger. His words are truer than the, the words of your fears. And that's God leaving us with that final good word. I'm giving you this peace that transcends all your circumstances because my countenance is upon you. My presence that goes before you is there. So be at peace. Okay. So that's what the benediction is, right? The first point how he draws near to bless us and to keep us, which necessitates him, sh him smiling upon us and being gracious to us. And he also reassures us of his continuing presence with us and therefore peace that transcends our understanding and our circumstances. All right, that's the what. And that sounds great. How do we receive it? How do we get it? Uh, take a look at verse 27 again. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. I will bless them. How is it possible for Israel to get God's name placed upon them and therefore entitled to his good word and his benediction? It's pretty simple here, right? It's because God said, I will bless them. Right? It's not because Israel said, God I've, I've made it to the mountaintop. 
uh, I've reached the peak of holiness. Now bless me. It's God who initiates. You shall put my name upon Israel. I will bless them. The, the first part of receiving this is understanding that it is received and not achieved. It's a, it's, it's a thing that you receive, but you can never achieve. You can never earn this. You can never work your way up to this blessing. It's God graciously offering it to us of his own initiation. It's all divine, completely top-down. And even though it's Aaron who's extending his arms over the people of God, speaking these words, it's really God speaking and really God's arms stretched out towards his people, right? God's not saying, Aaron will bless them for me. No, he's established his ministry in Aaron. He's using Aaron as his instrument, and he's saying, this is me blessing you, my people. These are my arms stretched out towards you. These are my good words, my benediction coming to you. So the first part of the answer as to how, how do we receive it is, is really, really getting this, that it is received, not achieved, and therefore, in a sense, it really is a gift that is too good to be true, and yet it is true. Getting that, grasping that, that this is too good to be true, and yet it is true, that's the first part of receiving this. And if you were to say to me at this point, but pastor, I'm really not good enough for this. I don't deserve this kind of blessing. I, I, I don't deserve anything from God. I'm just not good enough. And I will say, if that's you, I will say to you, um, friend, you're getting it. You're getting it now. You are not good. That's the whole point. God is. God is good. He has to be because we're not. And the reason he draws near to us by his grace, he draws near to us to give us peace, is not because we are good. It's because he is when we're not. That is the good word from the Lord. God does not look down on us and say, wow, what will I do without them? I must have them. They're so good. They're so deserving. I must draw near. That is not what he's saying. He didn't need any of us. He wasn't obligated to save any of us, and yet by his own initiation, by his mercy, by his own goodness, he draws near to us. Now, having said that, that's, in a sense, only the first part of the how question, just understanding this is his initiation, this is received and never achieved. See, the Israelites had Aaron as their mediator, as their representative, who offered sacrifices daily to atone for their sins, so that this makes moral sense. That was the moral price tag attached to God, a holy God, loving sinners. Atonement for sin was made. And it was the, the same blood-stained hands that Aaron used to offer sacrifices that he would then use to stretch out towards his people, towards Israel, and bless them. So, so here's the question. Where's your priest? 
Who's your Aaron? You're looking at me. I'm not your priest. I have never once made an animal sacrifice on your behalf. Never killed an animal in my life. I've, I've eaten, killed animals, but I have not killed an animal unless I didn't know when I was driving in the middle of the night. I've never killed an animal in my life. But that's what priesthood is. Where's your priest? And the, the author of Hebrews tells us that we as the people of the New Testament, we're not without a priest. In fact, we have one who is even greater than Aaron. Aaron's priesthood was corruptible. This priesthood is not. Aaron had to offer sacrifices daily. This priest sacrifices once and for all. Aaron spilled the blood of goats and calves. This priest, he sheds his own blood to save God's people. And Aaron's priesthood had many priests, but you only need this one. This priest, the one much greater, more powerful, more faithful than Aaron, the one that actually Aaron was just foreshadowing, is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We have in Jesus the great high priest who represents us once and for all at the altar of the cross where he becomes the sacrificial lamb and takes upon himself our curse, our judgment, our forsakenness so we would get nothing but God's blessings, his keeping, his grace, and his peace. His cross is a representation of the price tag that's attached to God saying to sinners, here's grace, here's peace, and here's my face shining upon you. It shows us the price of committing to sinners and making, committing to making them holy like God is. The price is Jesus on the cross getting the malediction so that we would get nothing but God's benediction. So for us, if we go back to verse 27, to really have God's name placed on us really means to have the name of Jesus, the Son of God, placed on us, placed on our hearts, and Him being our representative, our great high priest. And the Apostle Paul says, if you are in Christ, if you look to Christ this way, you are Israel of God. You're the true Israel of God. And therefore, the ironic blessing is yours. So how do we receive it? It's looking to Jesus in faith. It's standing before his outstretched arms on the cross, not with nothing in your hands, and realizing he's achieved it, therefore you receive it. Looking to Jesus in faith. That's how we receive, that's how we must receive the good word from God. You have to receive the word from God, the word who became flesh lived among us, and died and rose again for us. That's the what and, and the how. Here's the so what that must follow from this, and that's the last point. Okay, there's a two, this is two parts, two parts to this. The first so what is about your identity. Once you receive the benediction and understand what it really means, redefines your identity. The second so what is about your relationships. It, it changes radically the way you approach your neighbors. In the benediction, God places his name, his name upon his people. 
What does that do? What does that say about their identity? What does it say about their even self-perception? Basically, it's, it's saying you don't get to name yourself. You are not self-defined. You're defined by God who names you. You are who he says you are. And what does he say that we are? When God first created Adam and Eve, he said they were very good. And sin enters the world and and ruins everything, and we lose that image, or we are corrupted in that image, but we regain that. We regain that, not because of us, but because of Christ, his achievement. And once again, God then calls those who are in Christ very good. And that is your name and my name in Christ. Very good. It's like him pronouncing, like a minister who would pronounce a couple husband and wife. It's him pronouncing you into a new life and a new identity. Once the minister says, here, here you are, I pronounce you husband and wife, you're completely different from your previous identity. Now you've become one with someone else. Your old life has gone. You're completely new. Until then, you're, you're part of the old life. But once the pronouncement is made, you're a different person. And that's what God is doing. He makes a pronouncement. You are now in Christ. You're wedded to Christ. You are very good. That is who you are. The old is gone, and nothing can ever change that. So the benediction is not just good just because you know, somehow it makes God's word good. It makes you good. And, and the way it begins to do that is by reminding you who you are in Christ and therefore whose you are, that you belong, as the Heidelberg Catechism says, that you belong body and soul in life and in death to your Savior, Jesus Christ. And that changes completely how we perceive ourselves. It's not even just the perception. It's a real experience of freedom, freedom from the need, the pressure to pronounce yourself as other things. Successful, beautiful, impressive, acceptable. The, the things that only leave you with a malediction in the end. Not successful enough, not beautiful enough, not impressive enough, and not acceptable enough. This is why we need the pronouncement of Christ. This is why we need to put our trust in him, to be freed from all that. Because his word for you is... Based on his achievement, you are very good. You are blessed. You are kept. You have grace and you have peace. And that frees us to finally be what God calls us to be. Not do first, but to be first. Free to rest, therefore. Free to not always exceed expectations, Free to not be impressive to everyone you meet. Free to be less than good enough. Free to even fail at times. Because those things do not define you. His pronouncement of you defines you. Deep down, when we believe in God's benediction, it changes everything about how we see ourselves. Will God... uh, discipline us at times 
when we are prone to wander? Yeah. Will he bring trials that remove our imperfections and the draws more and more? Yes. But his final word to you will always be his good word. It will always be his benediction. That's the first so what of the benediction. It tells you who you are, whose you are, sets you free. The other so what that follows is about um, our relationships. This is now our being benedictory to others, to our neighbors. As people who have received God's grace and peace, now spreading God's grace and peace to others to make your face shine upon others. Upon your spouse. To give your spouse grace. To lift up your countenance upon your spouse and offer him or her peace. For parents, it's about making our face shine upon our children to to bring them grace and peace. Of course, children need parents' discipline and correction, absolutely. But the final word, the final word they hear from us should be grace and peace. Those of you who are at work or on a campus, um, even in the context where you're bound to face, naturally, difficult people, broken people, sinful people, toxic people, unsafe people, where you must bring necessary correction and reform and accountability, even confrontation at times. And God is calling you to do all that, but your final word to your neighbors ought to be grace and peace. Because that's God's final word to you. Because that's what ultimately defines you. God names you by his grace and peace. So I hope starting today, I hope you'll pay particular attention to the benediction that you hear at the end of the service and and even look forward to the benediction that you'll hear at the end of the service because in that you're reminded of who you are, whose you are, and why God's sending you back out. To do what? Why go back into the wilderness? Why go back into difficult workplaces, difficult classroom settings, difficult relational settings? Why? To be benedictory. And just as God has blessed you and pronounced his blessings on you, that you will be carriers of that blessing to others. God's messengers of grace and peace so you can bless even those who curse you. Give grace to those who offend you and make peace, offer peace to those who come against you. Because, again, that is God's final word and that is the way he pronounces you. That is who you are. It's grace and peace. So grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. I give you the the same New Testament translation of that benediction that, that Paul so often gives. Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ and God, our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your pronouncing us very good and for your Son who paid the price to make that possible. Lord, uh, may we receive this in faith with nothing in our hands and uh, simply look to the cross where his arms are outstretched to give us your benediction. Lord, may we stand there and behold just the the beauty of your love and um, marvel at that. 
rest in that and, and be set free in that, the freedom to feel the freedom to simply be there, uh, to hear you say, uh, you are very good, to hear you say, you are a beloved child, to hear you say, I have done everything that's needed for, for your ultimate peace and security. And Lord, as we sit there and as we rest there, as we are fed and nourished there, God, empower us to go. Empower us to do, to share, to spread your grace and peace to the world with our neighbors. Empower us this way as we receive your good word for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.